there's got to be a point in leadership where you can also say to yourself or to somebody that may not, you know, maybe in your organization, we're just not a right fit for each other anymore. You know, it's you, not me. (laughs) (laughs) But I, but to your point about trust, I think because that's really where at the root of it, trust erodes for so many small things and it's hard to gain back. And I think once I had had that difficult conversation and I didn't get the warmth that I thought I was going to get in response to what I was saying, uh, which was okay, trust really did erode. And that's unfortunate because I do think that is the hardest thing for leaders to maintain because they're, they're pulled in a lot of different directions. And so I'm sympathetic to the problem, but I still think there's a way to thread the needle of trust and, and keep your people and be honest. I just don't think that every leader can hear, I don't trust you and go internal and look at that and say, why? Yeah, that is, that is difficult to hear. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people grow your business and grow your life. This is episode 83. Our special guest is Dina Labriola. The title today is Courageous Leadership, what it takes to step up, speak up, and drive change in business. Dina is an unusual character. By profession, she is a lawyer. And many lawyers say that they are business advisors, but the truth of Dina is she is a business advisor who happens to practice law. And she talks today about what it looks like to be a lawyer or a professional of any sort where you are deeply committed to adding value to your clients. She's not just a lawyer. She's a connector of people, business advisor, relationship builder. I call her the consigliere to her clients. And most importantly for the discussion today, she is and has modeled courageous leadership. She's going to talk about the ways and the whys behind her speaking up to create change in her organization, the importance for leaders to genuinely and deeply care about their people, which means taking risks to support them and drive that change. She's going to talk about how vital it is to have grit, scrappiness, and resilience if you want to succeed in law or any other profession. Most of all, Dina today is going to talk to you in real-life examples of what it looks like to be a courageous leader. podcast where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are thrilled to be back here today for another great conversation. I know it's going to be, have one of Craig and my dearest friends, Dina Labriola is with us. I don't know where to begin with Dina. I met (laughs) Dina many years ago. Actually, we've had a really cool relationship Uh, early on. She was a client of mine and I worked with her and then I've been a client of hers. Yeah, We've become friends. We've hung out. We have uh, shared cocktails and very deep, intriguing, challenging conversations. Just one of my dearest friends. And and actually, Craig and I met 
because Dina introduced us yep. at a very infamous lunch together in Cary, North Carolina, about what, eight or nine years ago. Yeah. Thank you so much, so, Dina. Yeah, such a <laughs> gift. Dina is a gift, and you're going to hear today the many ways she's a gift. She is, believe it or not, folks, she is an attorney, a lawyer. What? You know, I'm a recovered <laughs> lawyer. She's one of those people that we love to talk about and hate on. By the time you're done, you're going to say, I want someone like Dina in my court. Oh, my gosh, Because yes. she's not a lawyer. See, that's the thing. There are lawyers who try to be business advisors, <laughs> but Dina is actually a business advisor who happens to be a lawyer. And that's, that's what I love about it. how she does business. She's all about doing this. She does the, She can do the stuff for the clients. She can do the corporate deals, negotiate the deals, make things happen. But more importantly, she's their advisor and she serves as what's called outside general counsel to many closely held companies, North Carolina and all over the country, which means she's that outside advisor, but far beyond the law. So I know it's going to be an interesting conversation about the law and biz growing businesses. And certainly we're going to talk about leadership as always. So welcome, Dina. Yes, welcome. Thank you. And Thank Dina, you. I'm Dina, glad to be here. Yes. And we would not yes. be here if it weren't for you. That's what's so cool. Is, <laughs> well, this you know, better be good then. That's right. This, this that's better right. be good then, right? <laughs> no pressure. That's right. Wow, I got so excited. I got choked up. <laughs> All right. So, Dina, give us a little bit of your uh, background story. Uh, okay. Well, thanks. And and for I just want to say thank you to uh, Craig and Jeff. It was um, I, honestly it was my honor because uh, to see a friendship flourish like mm. yours and a business relationship um, is really um, powerful. But it's also, I think, a really great platform for which to sort of, uh, you know, either start today, end today, or just kind of be a thread through today's conversation. So I appreciate yeah. that. Um, so who am I? All right, background story. All right, well, um, I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a lawyer. I'm an athlete. And I am in a want-to-be leader. And, um, and that's probably the order of importance. <laughs> of things. Um, but I think, how did I get here? Well, I grew up in Chicago and just outside of Chicago. And I grew up in a really um, uh, unusual family situation in the sense of my parents were very, very young when they had me. I was raised by um, my grandparents, my parents, and a whole bunch of people that rallied around me mm -hmm. because they knew that my parents were probably not ready for me. <laughs> I grew up in a very diverse community hmm. um, and in ways where I wasn't sure how much of an impact that had until I became an adult and um, how formative those experiences were. And we can talk about that. Um, as I got older, I became uh, you know, very competitive. I grew up with a, um, a competitive mom in particular. And, um, and, uh, she encouraged sports. She didn't really, uh, do much in the way of, you know, maybe traditionally, uh, what was assigned as traditionally female roles. And, um, and so I grew up with the benefit of always being told I could do whatever I wanted. And awesome. I enjoyed sports more than anything else. So I played sports and, um, and the product of that, uh, a couple of formative things happened in my life that, uh, 
we'll talk about my leadership journey and then uh, my client focus and um, kind of what I look to accomplish. Uh, the first was my parents, who were both very good parents, probably weren't prepared to be parents, but, but were, uh, but tried to be good parents. Um, my mom came out uh, as a gay woman um, in 1991 to me when I was uh, a teenager. And um, that was a real formative experience wow. because um, that was a time when not many folks in my circle had a gay parent. In fact, no, nobody I knew. You know, it was one of those things where you had maybe a gay uncle that lived, you know, uh, you know, and then in, in, in the big city somewhere. And so it was, um, it was a formative experience for me uh, and, and created a, a lot of conversation um, just for me and for my mom and our relationship and, and our family. Um, but sort of moving beyond that, uh, I, I got out and saw the world and my parents encouraged me to, to travel to leave home. And so uh, I went and, uh, you know, went to college and then moved to Washington, D.C. for uh, for law school. And um, and then after law school in D.C., took a job that had me shuttling between New York and D.C. and where I practiced. I was in a very large law firm and practiced and realized I loved corporate law. It's <laughs> um, a good type. But and, and that's you know, and it's funny because um, I don't know that anybody arrives at that uh, easily, and I did. So, and hmm. take what you will off that. But, um, but I did. I loved being involved in business. But one thing that I realized in being in big law that represented big companies is it was an very transactional experience. You get hired, you complete a transaction, a project, and you move on. And you are hired because of your expertise in that. And I realized after eight years of that, that wasn't very fulfilling. Um, through that time, I happened to meet my husband, and that coincided with about a life decision as to um, parenting, whether we wanted to have kids, and we decided we did. And I looked around, and in big law, what I saw at the time, and of course, this is a, you know mid-2000s, I saw a bunch of unhappy women, those that had stayed in through partner had um, either had very little relationship with their children, wow. um, had fractured marriages, had um, or or worse, they were trying to do it all, and it was um, it was not good for their health, their sanity, <laughs> and um, and I said, well, I think I can do this differently, and so we were very methodical. We looked around and we chose um, North Carolina for probably all the same reasons why everybody from the north moved to North Carolina. <laughs> And found ourselves in, in Raleigh um, for a better way of life. And since then, um, one pivotal decision that we'll talk about that will lead into a lot of what we talk about today is I made the decision that I only wanted to represent companies where I could speak to the leadership regularly. Hmm. Awesome. That That's didn't so mean and and it didn't mean that we couldn't that couldn't be big companies it could be small companies sometimes they're closely held but i realized what was not fulfilling was not being in the room mm. and being a business advisor like jim or like jeff said sorry and i um and for me that was a very critical uh a critical choice because it has probably kept me in the law 
And the other thing I think that's worth noting is that I probably would have been an entrepreneur by now, but I don't have the risk profile as a person <laughs> to do that. And so I, uh, I, have, um, I, I have really enjoyed being a business advisor. The other piece that I can't, um, I, I, I can't say enough about is um, my mom is still in my life, a very impactful person, and we'll, we'll, she'll, she'll probably remain a theme as, as we get into this discussion. And then um, my 11-year-old daughter, who, um, who is also uh, obviously sort of, you know, everything to me <laughs> and, um, and, and drives a lot of what I do. So wow. I'll leave it there. That's my story. That's so good. And the way, the way I met you, Dina, we were on the Durham Chamber uh, Small Business Advisory Council. And so that's, that's where we met. And then you had known Jeff. So you made the introduction over, over lunch. You even paid for everybody's lunch. And it wasn't just Jeff and me that were there. There were a couple other people. And, but Jeff and I just stuck. So, wow, what a great way of being able to connect things. I loved how you connected the dots through your, your childhood and, and on. And I would imagine that, you know, your mom coming out as gay would be a huge impact on that, you know, at that point in time as well. It, it, it was. Was it shocking and to you or was it something that you could, could have foreseen? It, it was. It was actually something I had um, hinted around at. And, and so it was clear that, uh, you know, they, that she, she wanted to tell me and, and chose the, the appropriate moment to tell me, which I think, you know, there was still a lot she was wrestling with, too, yeah. at, at that um, but, but looking at um, looking at the world through her lens. So, um, you know, I, I have what I what I think would appear to be sort of relatively traditional family um, in the in the scheme of things and uh, the nuclear family that, you know, is portrayed in. Well, it, hopefully not too much longer, but is portrayed in a, in a number of the books. And um, and and she wasn't that. And I think she struggled with how to tell me. But I think the gift of that was being able to grow up with that lens and, um, and see her struggle, which I, which I don't wish for, but I'm glad I've now seen it through the lens because I take that into everything, you know, I do. Hmm. Uh, wow. there, there's so much in your story, Dina. I, mean, I love that the, all the different pieces and how they connected. One thing that jumped out at me is your intentionality. I do yes. have to say, I do want to comment on one piece though. I don't know if it's humility or self-deprecation. You described yourself as a wannabe leader. I caught that too. It's like, and, really? And I will tell you something. When I talk about you, Dina, to anyone, I, I probably never talk about you without using the word leader. Because I saw, <clears throat> I mean, even without the position, then I saw how you moved into position. And I saw oh, yeah. the ways you led in your first real significant leadership role in your law firm. And, and, and I would say the word that comes to mind is courageously mm -hmm. because I'm not, we're not going to get all the details, but it took a lot of courage for you to speak up the way you did and to draw lines and say that where well, this is not acceptable anymore, uh, things that weren't even about you. So right. to me, all I've seen from you is leadership personified and modeled. So, you might want to be ready to claim that. I wholeheartedly agree. And Jeff, you were talking <laughs> earlier today when you, when you were speaking, um, you were talking about the person in Band of Brothers who was the unrecognized um, leader. Who was that? Uh, in, the, in the show, it's, his name is Carwood Lipton. 
Harwood Lipton. Yeah. And so this is a guy that the guy, the, the person's talking about him and saying, you know, there's one person in this company that's, that does this and is leading in this way and really encouraging the people and so forth. And he was like, who? It's like you. <laughs> so we, we're going to throw that back at you, Dina, and just say, everybody else recognizes that you're a leader. You're not a wannabe. You're, you're there. <laughs> well, thank anyway, you. we're all growing I, and I we're all growing, that. but wow. Yeah. You're, yeah. yeah, you're, you are leadership. And you and you put it in action, yeah. And that's something I've always loved about you. So I want I would like to guess jump in with that. What I've experienced with you is, and I'm focused on as a woman leader. You have been willing to speak up in not only male dominated industry, but in a very male dominated environment. Hmm. You have you did not hesitate. You did not stay quiet. So you can can you talk about that? journey of speaking up and where that came out for you? Yeah, I, I, I do believe that it, it was a process. I, I think um, part of it was getting your position validated. And, and whether folks would say that externally or not, I was having a, a lot of um, inside conversations with people that I was grateful were telling me what they were feeling. And this is particularly about um, diversity and inclusion efforts within, um, within law firms in general, and, and, and maybe progress not being made in, a, in as fast of a way as, as, as people, you know, and, and certainly as I felt was, was uh, necessary and meaningful to grow market position to um, to uh, do the right thing by our uh, by our clients and attorneys and staff. And so um, I wanted to move quickly. And and I recognizing that progress couldn't be made quickly, but it also I guess what I what I kept coming back to and I kept realizing was before I could do any of that, I needed to educate people. And so it. I, I had to speak up and I had to find ways to, um, to educate and to keep bringing those things forward and through the lens of every decision we made. It just felt right. And I, I started seeing leadership through a lens of passion. You can't lead and, and we'll talk about, you know, influences, but you can't lead without feeling passionate about the things that you, you are leading and, and, and what changes need to be made. And it's scary, but it never felt scary because um, I was confident that it was one, the right thing from even just from an economic sense, but yeah. morally and would make our employees and staff and clients happier. So it, it just, it, it almost, the fear sort of wiped itself away as I kept, you know, making little steps and little steps. And that did not mean that there were, there weren't set, setbacks. There were, and there have been, but I, I, keeping it through the right lens, there will always be setbacks. But, you know, I would, I would say I'm going to lose a battle here and there, but I'm going to, I'm sort of winning the war that, that was very um, present in front of mind throughout the process. So, it continues to be. So Dina, let me ask you, it, it seems a little vague right now because uh, I, I may not sure. have understood where, what the specific situation is. Can you give us a little bit more detail and help us to understand what those different areas were that you were trying to work on? Sure. 
Sure. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be vague. We, um, in, in a, in a, a prior, immediately prior uh, position to, to where I, where I am uh, employed now, I was in, I was fortunate enough and grateful actually to be in a, in a uh, sort of influential leadership position mm -hmm. in, um, in overseeing uh, one of the, one of our largest office and of, of uh, a law firm. And in that position, you know, we wanted to gain market share. That was a really uh, great goal. But in order to do that, in my mind, we needed to be more diverse and inclusive. And that was, um, oh. one, because it was the right thing to do. And, uh, but, but two, we were missing out on talent opportunities mm. um, and, or talent retention opportunities, not only recruitment and retention, we were missing out on client opportunities. And so all of these things led me to believe whether you believe in the moral case for, for diversity and inclusion or not, or just want to stick with the business case, they're both quite compelling. And so it, it got me having some really hard conversations because, you know, you can't change diversity initiatives unless you're really honest about where, where you are. And I looked around and I saw very few equity partners, uh, female equity partners. I saw a number of women leaving um, the, our, our ranks, you know, mid-career. Um, I saw n uh, no or few people of color. And mm. so we, we had to educate and be vocal. So we ended up, we started, you know, recruiting from, uh, you know, in, in these large pools um, for uh, minority law students, creating a pipeline for us. We started being really intentional in our oh, wow. hiring practices, making sure that we were, uh, before we would set to interview people, we would, uh, we would, you know, have to have, you know, look at a couple of diverse candidates as well in the pool and, and, you know, make sure that we were populating our sort of hiring practices appropriately. Um, we, you know, de-identified uh, certain, you know, things in our, in our sort of, uh, in our student law school process. So, we wouldn't have any of our biases take place um, mm. and really in, impact what we were doing. All of this was a big shift and not because people didn't want to do it, but I think it came back to, they didn't understand to do it. And um, I was fortunate enough. I think it took the, um, I, I, I think it took leadership on a lot of levels. So not just me, but it took someone being the, the person willing to be vocal about it and, yeah. and, and never let up. Wow. That is such this is so important to those two parts to be vocal, to be able to be willing to stand up because that, that is true leadership, being able to stand up and be able to take those arrows. Uh, but the other part is to stay with it. Even, even though you're getting some of that pushback, you, you stay with it and make sure that there's those things because you're looking out for the good of the firm and the people in it, not just for yourself. It's, I, I seriously doubt that any of that was self-focused, self-motivated. It wasn't, but you know, Jeff, I'll have to credit you for something. Um, and you probably don't, I'm going to give you credit for it and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's, it's, you'll, you'll get the idea. The, the second I took the leadership position um, and I, Jeff and I had one of our great conversations <laughs> that, um, you know, over cocktails and then we were getting fairly deep into, um, you know, leadership and the meanings of leadership. And he said, I just want you to know, you just put a target on your back. Yeah. And, and, and it wasn't, he, he was saying that not to, you know, sort of make, give me a warning in any sort, but just to be aware 
that, you know, it does take courage to be a leader. You, but, but it's also, you're given a, a gift in that way. And so if you don't use it, I just feel like um, you, then you haven't used your platform for, yeah. for really what, um, well, what it's intended to. Well, and I, I remember that conversation. What I believe I may have added to that, because I know this is what I believe today, is that leadership always invokes a target. But most leaders, the target goes on their back because someone else puts it there. But when you go into leadership, knowing that that's the reality, you have a choice to put it on your front and say, I'm mm-hmm. going to be authentic, I'm going to be vulnerable, and, and I'm going to try and build an environment of trust Well, you will fire your arrows directly at me and you'll talk to me versus talking behind me hmm. because I'm willing, I'm acknowledging this. I'm not trying to hide from it. If you hide from the target, there's only one place to put it because you're running from it. So, yeah. uh, you know, you know, bravo to you. And I, I want to, one of the things I want to get into here, Dana, because there's people out here who are going to listen to this, say, this sounds really awesome, but I think there's some strategy to this. And I'm curious, you've mentioned twice or at least three times the idea of there's a business case for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and there's the moral right thing to do, and that could be the personal bias in favor. So this is what I believe. So how did you balance that approach? Like, did you approach it from the business case? Was it a mixed approach? How did you do that? Thank you for asking. Um, I, I learned so much in in um, the course of uh, this leadership position on that very thing, all I did at the start was argue the moral case. And I just didn't get anywhere. Mm, yeah. And I, and I hate to say that I just didn't get anywhere. And it's, and, and I'm, I'm certain part of it was my approach because maybe I approached it in the, in the sense of this is obvious. <laughs> and, and, you know, why we should do this. So I'm, I'm sure I had some failings because it was also sort of early on in my, uh, you know, tenure of, of uh, leadership and a formal leadership anyway. And I, so I, I really went back and assessed my approach because I, I really believe that even if you feel like you're in the right and whatever you're uh, advocating for, there's a presentation piece and you really have to self-assess. So I went back in after just um, being oh, I just um, very, very down for about a year and thinking mm-hmm. through, like, I'm not making the progress that I need. And I made an entire pivot. I never talked about the moral case. <laughs> I only made the business case at, thereafter. And when I did that, when I did that, everybody, that's when things started to change. Now, maybe they would have changed otherwise. Maybe it was my approach. It's probably a combination of both. Wow. But from a, uh, from a strategic standpoint, to answer your direct question, Jeff, all I do now is argue the business case. If I'm trying to make change internally, um, and, and because I think it's very compelling and it's the business case is likely to fall on both sets of inclined people, either those inclined people that um, are not are may may be inclined to hear both the business and moral case, but if they're not inclined to hear both, then they're at least inclined to just hear the business case. Yeah, wow, it's interesting that you're really looking at what is it that that motivates somebody, and so you're looking at okay, it's the pocketbook that is saying okay, we need to be 
fiscally responsible. But when we look at the other side of the house, when you talk about the moral imperative, it really sounds like, you know, that is where we value people. And so having the value of people and the value of money juxtaposed, it's interesting that in that particular case, it, it was the money that drove things. And in some organizations, it may be the other way around. Um, I can think of nonprofits yeah. where the people are going to be the dominating right. thing uh, versus the money. Um, but it's great that you recognize that. And maybe that's a, a, a way of looking at it for somebody who wants to make those changes within their organizations. Before you respond to that, well, Nina, be- I, I oh, want to sure. throw a piece in before yeah. you respond, because I want to layer yeah. up this question to you. The way you described it, Craig, because I have some background from talking to Dina, mm-hmm. I don't think it was we don't value people versus we value money. Okay. I think they really thought they valued people. Okay. I think they yeah. really did. There was there was a, this was a huge blind spot. I think this was like so many organizations. They really now let's be honest. I think there were probably my opinion. Now there were probably some people there that didn't think it was right. They just didn't get it. But I think the majority thought they already had it right, but hmm. there wasn't anything to do. That's just sort of the, this is what we got. These are the people that come to us. We hire the people who apply. We hire the best people thing. Right. So I, I, I don't feel like, and that's why I'd love to hear some more layering on that, Dina. Well, so this, this, will, this will get to the heart of the, uh, the question, because I, what I started doing in, in analyzing the business cases, I, I actually made, um, I started using past employees that had left as just examples. And when, by doing that, we, we saw that we had lost so many women in mm. women in particular. Um, but it just, when you, when you actually looked at it from a historical standpoint, we had lost so many women um, right in the midsection of their career. And, and in fact, mm. just from a, a kind of how the billable hours work, and that's actually when people are most productive. Mm. And when, when attorneys are most productive, they, they bill the most number of hours, they, um, and they tend to collect on those hours, pretty much all of them. And, and we also took all this time to train them we had all this right. time invested in them and then we would lose them and we didn't have a natural replacement. So it'd be one thing if, you know, it's like a widget, you know, you just have the other, the next factory worker that comes in, but it's, it's, you know, there's so much time and energy that goes into building someone in a professional practice that to lose them is, a, is an enormous cost. And so if you just looked at, um, you know, even a small sample, which is, we didn't have a large, we were in a very large place, so we only had a relatively small sample you could start seeing the numbers and what we were missing and what we were missing in our pipeline by not getting, um, by not thinking through this problem. And in fact, it's not just a female leadership problem. Although I think there's, there's, it exact it is exacerbated in, in uh, female leadership, but you know, it's just the way folks and families shake out nowadays. And so we have to get people through what I would say, those are critical child rearing years where things are just hard in life, but we still want them uh, in our organization because uh, one, we've taken all the time to train them, but two, Mm -hmm. they're really good employees and they just need different things during. So um, I I think to to your point, um, to both your points, we, the, the, the business case sort of made itself, even if you thought you valued people. (laughs) 
it was one of those things where you could still make the business case on top of the fact that whether or not it was true that we valued people in the real sense or not, we didn't even have to get there. Okay. So there's a question that's really gnawing at me because <laughs> I saw how it played out and I'm really curious about whether it was strategic. I would say one of the benefits you had in creating this initiative and this change, you created real change, is you were a super high producer, high performer, not only in the quality of your work, the quantity of your work, and you also, let's just be honest, brought in a lot of revenue and clients to the business. And I often wonder, is that, did that amplify your voice in any way or open up the listening channels? <laughs> and if so, was that strategic to say, I know that in order to be able to, I need to put myself in a position to speak up versus just saying, I'm just going to speak up. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. That was a softball of a question because there's a great story behind <laughs> it. Maybe, and, I, and the answer is yes, it did. And I, I cannot credit myself to this. Uh, a little bit of background that I didn't mention in my story, but it's relevant here is when I had my now 11-year-old daughter um, that, that happened to be around the same time that my husband started a business. And, um, and we, uh, it, it was not well-timed, but it was what it was. And, um, and, I, and me being a person who had um, represented entrepreneurs and I knew how hard that was going to be. And so I actually ended up going uh, part-time uh, and, a, and a relatively part-time uh, schedule. And, and I put that sort of in air quotes because part-time for a lawyer is, well, it's only 80 hours a week. Full-time, but <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. But, you know, air quotes, part-time. And, um, but I did go part-time and I had some boundaries and I, that was four and a half years that I did that. And uh, my husband eventually sold his business. But the, um, but the point of that is within that period of time is when I really started thinking about these things, caring about them, growing passionate and, and sort of uh, trying to amplify. And a good, uh, a good colleague who has now a dear friend at the time, with the time though, I didn't know him as well. He came to me and he, and he came to me really thoughtfully and he said, you know, I think you have the ability to be a star. I see, I see it in you and I see what you care about and people need to hear what you care about, but you can't do it if you're not an equal in their mind. And I was mad at him for saying that to me at the time, but I didn't tell him that. But I went back and I thought about it and I think he was right. It, it, the only point was exactly what he was trying to say is you're not going to have a voice until you can at least take that piece off the table for mm. them and, and just make it a non-issue. You're, you're at least equal to them. And so you, you, then you'll have at least a voice to be able to pr propel people that may not look and act or need to be like you and do the same things as you, but they're still valuable. He said, but you can't do that. 
So it was um, it was a great lesson in leadership where somebody took me behind the, uh, the the closed door and really told me something that I just never forgotten. Might have even been pivotal in in the the course of uh, how strategically I handled myself. Hmm. So I went to work then. <laughs> and you did do that. I mean, I witnessed that you were. And I, it also feels like my memory is, and I, again, I don't, I'm really curious how intentional or strategic it was. It feels like you did things in steps. Like you didn't go in and throw the kitchen sink. So when you were working part-time, you tended to work more than part-time, even though you were getting paid. So that, then you started approaching it from a perspective of compensation. I don't know the order. And it felt like these were separate pieces, compensation. I'm working more. Uh, partnership. Well, we don't, you know, we don't have part-time partners, except I'm outperforming your full-time. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the issue on the, the DE&I felt like it came later. So there were at least steps to this. So number one, is that true? And number two, was that mindful in that approach? I, I think the answer, the general answer is yes, lowercase y. Um, some of it was happenstance of what was happening in my career. So part of it is, you know, taking what you see happening either in your own career, your own opportunities, how they're developing, and then making them into something. And so uh, some of the issues on the table were the things that I could realistically tackle based off of, you know, my own situation. So was it intentional? Yes. I tackled how we were compensated from the part-time fee. I tackled DE&I efforts. I tackled partnership. And I didn't win on all of these things, but I, but I progressed on a lot of, on, a, on many of them. And probably all of them to some degree, but, you know, some more than I would like uh, in, in other places. So, yes, it was very intentional. And I think for me, I was moving on because they were all actually related. Um, but, but and, and I, in my mind, they were related, but they had to be taken in chunks. And so... What I do to that point is I'm really thoughtful and I do it at the beginning of every year because I don't know, that just, it feels, it feels right. But I do set big goals every year and then I set small goals and I set tasks. And so part of this was absolutely intentional um, each year about the, the things I wanted to accomplish and how I wanted to accomplish them. So, uh, I, and I think you have to have, you have to know where you're going that doesn't mean you can't take twists and turns along the way. You, you should and you will. But I think I just always had this laser sense of like focus. This is where I'm going to be. And, and I, and uh, a friend told me even this year, and I'd never looked at it this way, but it was probably the way I probably, you know, operated was, you know, think of a word each year that you want to just sort of keep living into and I thought that was a great way. That's probably the way, I, even though I hadn't done it until this year, that's probably a way um, that I was actually living the, the last, you know, I don't know, eight or nine years. So I'm really curious, why is it that you chose to go through all of the effort to make a change in the culture of an organization rather than change organizations? Well, I ultimately ended up doing that, but it wasn't because <laughs> right. I did ultimately end up changing organizations. That's not, but it wasn't because I was dissatisfied with what was happening okay. in my old organization. It was in, in truth, it was simply because my practice needed something different than what my old organization could offer. And it was a, uh, it was, it was a hard experience to go through a change, but um, 
why? I, I, I think because I had developed genuine deep care for the people that I worked with. Okay. And I thought to myself, if I, I had an opportunity that may not exist in a larger organization, which is I had the opportunity to directly impact change that would affect particularly women. Mm. Um, this, this pack of women that, that um, I was very close to. And, and that's not to say um, there, were, there were a number of men who were great advocates for me, were instrumental in my career and still are. Um, but, but there was just this next-gen leadership that we had that I was very close to. And I thought, I'm the one that has the voice. And it <laughs> kept me in the game every day. It did not wow. keep me in the game in terms of it was, it was very, um, I mean, it was hard day, you know, there were hard days and, and the, but, but that's what kept me in the game every single time talking to one of them. So I think, um, for me, you know, some leaders have the opportunity to impact thousands of people within an organization. And maybe that's in my future. I don't know. But, um, but I had the ability to directly impact this, um, group of, let's say, 10 probably around that. And that was really meaningful for me because who gets that opportunity in life wow. to directly change the course? So I just took it seriously. And so that's what kept me um, going. God, that's amazing. That That is true servant leadership. I mean, when you step in and you're saying, okay, this is not about me at all. I see this group of people that I want to make sure that they have a better quality of life. I'm going to work my tail off to make sure that they're taken care of. That's awesome. Kudos. And I want to, and it's up to you how detailed we can get here. I want to talk about the higher level here, Dina. And I remember you telling me about a conversation you had. I, I won't share what was said. I'll try and describe it as best I can. It reminded me of something I said during a speech I gave this morning about courage. And in that case, this morning, I was talking about how important it is to actually talk about trust in organizations. And that the hardest conversation is to look someone in the eye and say, I don't trust you. Mm. But that's probably the thing that most has to be said, because that might be what it takes to get someone's attention to realize yeah. there's been an impact. And I know they're in this process in your journey. Again, without using the word, I do remember it, though. You, you had a conversation with a leader and you spoke your true heart truth to them. That I'm going to guess was it's some level hard. I don't know if it was scary. Um, and I wonder if that conversation really had a significant impact in moving things forward because you were willing to have that conversation. Yes. I, I want to be careful in terms of how I answer this because I, I have not had the opportunity to go back to that leader. Right. And, and that's why I'm being cautious what myself. that person yeah, and I don't know what that person was thinking at the time, but but I the but at the at, at the outset of sort of um, when I was when I was thinking about my career, my practice, and I was I started recognizing that my practice didn't fit sort of my current circumstances and and the expertise that my clients needed, and and and, and just certain other things that that really were business focused and client focused, not um, because I was unhappy. I, I did go to the leader and I said, here are the things that I think are um, need to be changed. And 
and it did take a lot of courage in some sense. But in another sense, I felt like it was almost the thing that I needed. So it might have been a bit selfish because one way or another, I was going to get an answer out of that conversation. And I knew that by having that hard conversation, I was going to understand whether it was I was a fit or I wasn't. And, I, and, and the good news is that I got that answer. And it, it, neither side was, was wrong. Everybody, I think, came to that who they were. But there is also a point where I think as a, as a person, and, I'm, and maybe this is taken sort of out of leadership, which is there's got to be a point in leadership where you can also say to yourself or to somebody that may not, you know, maybe in your organization, we're just not a right fit for each other anymore. You know, it's you, not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, but, I, but to your point about trust, I think because that's really where at the root of it, Trust erodes for so many small things, and it's hard to gain back. And I think once um, once I had had that difficult conversation, and I didn't get um, maybe the the warmth that I thought I was going to get in in response to what I was saying, uh, which it was okay, was helpful. Like I like I sort of previously said, um, trust really did erode. And that's unfortunate because I do think that um, that is the hardest thing for leaders to maintain because they're, they're pulled in a lot of different directions. And so I'm sympathetic to the problem, but I still think there's a way to thread the needle and trust and, and keep your people and be honest. And um, I just don't think that every leader can hear, I don't trust you and go internal and look at that and say, why? Yeah, that is, that is difficult to hear. Because the, the word I remember is disappointed. Mm, yeah. You went to someone in a situation, we don't have to get into that, and you said to them, I'm disappointed yeah. in you. And I remember thinking, wow, good for you for saying, because it was true. That was the most true thing yeah. you could say. But that couldn't have been easy for you because you did have a relationship. Yeah. And I was. I had there had been a series of decisions that I and again, I won't I don't won't pretend that in leadership, we all know not everybody is going to like every decision. But I, I was I was disappointed. And I and I said that and I spoke my truth. I'm glad I did that, though. And I also think, too, that even if um that didn't resonate at the time, and, and maybe it still doesn't. There might be a time when it does resonate. So I think those are important conversations to have yeah. because whether they resonate now or later, they, they might unearth themselves down the road. So, Dina, the thing that's coming up for me is, and you've used this phrase a couple of times, I know it is a passion of yours, it's about women in leadership. Hmm. And this was clearly an example where you've already shared you were that woman in leadership and you stepped up and I'm going to separate those. You were in a leadership role and you stepped into that leadership by taking very courageous steps. And a lot of that was in some cases was designed to empower other women and their leadership. You did yeah. it for others, not just yourself. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about the perspective for women who are listening? Actually men too, they need to hear this. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about the challenges that women, unfortunately, are really facing today 
in leadership? Yes. And, and I, I'm going to try and do the, uh, the topic justice because we could obviously, we all know we could be here for hours talking <laughs> about it. Um, so I'll just touch on a couple of, a couple of challenges that I see. Um, one may not be as much of a challenge anymore because it's, it's generational, I think. Um, I think that the, uh, the generation below me, so uh, I'm in the Gen X generation, if you're, and, and that generation of millennials right below me, um, they grew up and I think have been raised, at least in large part, having the family unit, unit already be expected to have either two professionals mm. where we split duties, yeah. right? Or we do not, um, in, in where in not everything, although a lot of the um, maybe day-to-day mental energy go- that of the household goes, it still stays with the woman because that's how maybe she's designed, but maybe not. Where I don't think those expectations are as, as set in stone. Yeah. So I think it's probably more of a, I call it the business conversation between two millennials <laughs> where they're probably sitting at the kitchen table and they're saying, you know, well, who has higher earning potential? Who's more ambitious? And these aren't scary conversations to have, right? Like we just, that's, we're, we're going to just go into this sort of logically. So I think that that's happening more at the millennial level. At my level, I'm still a bit of a unicorn. I, I happen to have a wonderful partner who is um, very supportive of, of my career, my ambition, um, and, and actually likes seeing me lead and shine and, and wants that. Uh, but, but that's not uh, what I would say what my group and cohort is, is I, I see a lot of. And that's not to say that uh, there aren't many, of, many women like me out there. There are. But I think it's still not as um, pronounced. So I think one challenge is just making sure that you have the home, um, th- that whatever you have going on, in your uh, home life, uh, it can can support your career. And that, I think, starts with having a supportive um, partner in, in whatever way. So the one challenge is, is that just I always say to women, you know, choose wisely. Uh, and if you can't choose, then make enough money where you can outsource everything. <laughs> um, I think the other, the other challenge in leadership is, and, and it's, it's lessening, but just, you know, it's about, it's about seeing yourself in leadership and then having folks that, um, that champion your career. And it's, I, I, we talk about mentorship a lot, and I don't like to call it man- mentorship. I do think champion's the right word because what you need is somebody within an organization that has influence, that's getting you into the right projects, getting you into the right things, but then you owning them. And I think that's, that's the piece of, um, I think, leadership and that is not male or female inclined. It's just about grit. <laughs> and grit can be defined in a number of different ways. But if I'm really talking about what holds people back in law firms, um, a lot of it is just grit. You can call it scrappiness. You know, those folks, you're always going to see people that get ahead that shouldn't deserve, that don't deserve it. I wouldn't focus on those people. Focus on being scrappy, being resilient, and developing the tools and surround yourself by people with grit because those are the people that are successful. Hmm. So I, I, don't, I think that's not a challenge so much for women other than sometimes 
women are very resourceful. They're, I think just as a group, they're very resourceful. They're used to multitasking. A lot of them have grit. I think they don't know how to channel it though. So I think is in terms of a challenge, having those, um, those people in key leadership, whether male or female, that sort of show you how to champion grit. <laughs> well, I, I think that's really fascinating. And it leads to another, to me, natural question, Dina, which is if you look at how you built your career, and I'm, I hate to even call it career, you've really built your business. You happen to work for a firm, mm -hmm. but you've built a book of business. You've built um, a reputation and you've, you build a reputation as someone who brings great value to your clients because you are the business advisor. You're not the technician. And I think that would apply to men and women in this career of how valuable, and that is still unicornish. You know, you go into a law firm of 100 people, you might have, in my experience, a handful that approach it that way. So can you speak to that? Because anybody in the profession, and certainly the clients that benefit from it, I would hope want to get value, not just services. So one thing I will, I may have called myself a, a wannabe leader and, and, and you all disputed that, but here's, here's one thing I will, I will, um, I won't dispute. The one, one of my strengths is I'm able to read the room really well and not in every situation, but that, that is a, um, I don't, I don't know what that skill is, but it's, it's, I'm able to hear information and then it, and then offer a solution in some way to help. That's a really great skill to have as a lawyer because it has you adding value in places that you don't even sometimes think you're adding value. You're just, you're hearing things, you're digesting information. You're saying, what about this? And, um, and it might be something they haven't thought about. It's just a skill I have. I realized early on that that skill was really useful in, um, in particularly in representing uh, clients where I can talk to the owner because people that own businesses, they, uh, at, at some point in the process, they need legal advice and they need you um, to, to tell them the risk. But they also need you to ask questions and kind of read the temperature of their business and then help them make a call. Mm -hmm. And the one piece that I've never been afraid to do is one, just sort of say what I was thinking and ask questions about uh, whatever might be going on. Somewhere in there, we'll get to some answer and, and we'll be able to distill the facts that matter to make a decision. Um, but then I've also never been able to share or never been afraid to share my opinion. I think that's where a lot of lawyers get in trouble because mm. lawyers are trained for liability purposes and for the type of uh, I think the type of risk profile and the, the type of personality traits that attract people to the law to uh, always just vet out both sides of an argument and then never make the call. Let the business people make the call. <laughs> I never, ever, I intentionally do not want to be that kind of lawyer. Mm -hmm. That might get people mad at me. That might get clients at some point to say to me, well, you helped me make the wrong decision. But I've not yet had an experience where a client hasn't thanked me for it, even if it hasn't been the right decision. Hmm. So I don't know if that answered your question, Jeff, but I, but I, 
I do think that's the difference between a business advisor and a lawyer. And it's just the way I've been inclined. It, so here's a, a, a really interesting example. Uh, when I was dealing with one of your prior firms, Dina, um, I was on the other side of a transaction. So I was actually spinning out a company from the parent company. And mm -hmm. the law firm advised in one particular way that I don't think was actually beneficial to their client. And, and so I, I had this perspective of this law firm and then I met you and you were working at that firm. And I was like, wow, this is totally different. This is somebody that's really coming aside, competent, and I totally trust your, your take on things. And so just being able to be in that place of competence, but also having the confidence to say, you know, this is why this is the kind of decision I think that you need to make. And this is why, I mean, even as Jeff and I were going into Cartavera and we had you laying things out for us there, you were saying, okay, these are the things that you need to be thinking about. This is what most people do. This is what I would recommend in this case. And so you were giving us guidance for the business from a legal perspective, but you were also looking at the much bigger picture of our relationship and, and other things that were coming into it. So I really appreciate that about you. Well, thank you. And, and I think there's a psychology um, to representing, I mean, part of that initial decision to represent and be, you know, be in the room with owners making decisions. But because I love the psychology part of law. You know, decisions, decisions can't be made in a vacuum. In fact, yeah. if you were to make business decisions based off of just the legal factors, you probably come out with, with a significantly different set of business decisions than you actually do come out with in most businesses. You wouldn't do anything. And I think if you, right, you wouldn't do anything. And, and lawyers need to understand that, that the psychology plays in um, and that's actually what our, where I think the fun is. I mean, like, it's, it's fun, you know, getting to sort of understand the risk profile of your clients, what they're so inclined, what their goals are, and then matching solutions for it. Oh, I mean, so good. we don't talk about that as a piece of law, but that's, that's exactly what we should be doing and what I should be doing as a business advisor. It happens to also be the, just the, the way I see it and the, the way I can add value. Now, one thing, though, I wanted to make clear is, this is not off the cuff advice, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, this takes a level of time and energy and investment in your client. Hmm. So I, I, one, I want to know people in, in both the business context and the personal context, because that's going to drive a lot of what's happening. Not me being nosy. It's just that, you know, that's helpful to understand sure. business decisions and when we should tackle things. But it's also, um, it's me understanding the business. I have had the great fortune in my life thus far to learn so many industries, so many businesses, and frankly, been fascinated as how people make money in this world. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I mean, I, it, I've, I've just learned so much from my clients, but I can't do that unless I'm investing time. So it's a small example, but when I onboard, you know, a client, I usually, you know, particularly one that has a lot of different facets and maybe an existing client I go through a pretty extensive audit with them on my time. That's not for their benefit. Ultimately it is, but it's for my benefit. It's so I can figure out what, how am I, how am I, how can I work with them? What's their personality like? And it goes deeper into just their business issues. It goes into like, what's the interplay between, 
you know, the, the, the owners, the, the, the board, you, you know, it asks some hard questions. And, and I, I, I'm just grateful when I get real answers. But that's where it comes back to the, the questions or the statement that you said way earlier, where you said, I want to, I only want to work with companies where I can be talking to the key leaders, because then you get the insight and the perspective from that. Correct. You know, Dana, there's something you, I don't think you've said this and I've heard, I know you pretty well. <laughs> and I've heard you say a number of times, these things that come naturally to you. But I think there's a, there's a river that runs through all of this for you. Everything you've shared today that is not natural, it's a choice we make. And you see everything from a perspective. You're always asking yourself, how can I add value? Hmm. How can I add value to the culture of where I'm at? How can I add value to my firm? Even how you introduce Craig and I. That's something you do regularly. I know that. I've done a number of those lunches with you where you don't just, you bring multiple people together and say, look, if I'm going to see you, let me introduce you to other people. Brilliant. And you, I believe you never looked at your legal work as this is my value. I don't need anything else. You've always said, yeah, I'm doing this for you, but how can I add value? And that's a decision we make. That's not something that comes natural or not. Yeah. And I just want you to, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because I want to make sure everybody hears that as a choice, not just some gift we have or don't have. Right. I think it is a choice. I think, but, but I do think the, how we execute the choice comes easier to people, (laughs) you know, than easier, more naturally to people than others. You you know, if you were to, I, I, I joke around a lot with, with, internally my business development marketing folks and and i say you know one of those rare breeds where you could drop me in a cocktail party of 200 people and i would thrive i love it you know i love that i mean that's horrifying to most lawyers right that's just horrifying to most lawyers now that's not to say though that that everybody doesn't have a choice as to how to add value it's just you can choose to add value in different ways you can choose you know the ways that bring you joy and so i have figured out pretty early on the things that bring me joy in the law, the things that, that bring me joy. And, and part of that is exactly to your point, Jeff, connecting people. I couldn't be more happy. If, if I get nothing else out of this relationship, other than the fact that you and Craig met and are thriving as, a, as in, in friendship and business, that is, that is all I'll, I'll need. And, yeah. and so that to me is a, a gift to be able to bestow on folks, you know, and I, yes. again, and, but but yes, so you you consciously do the act of adding value, but that can take a number of different forms. I mean, if you don't if you don't like connecting people as uh, you know as a lawyer, you can send people helpful articles. You know, send your client helpful articles. If, if it, you know the thought of getting a group of six people together for lunch is just too much to bear. Okay, well then you know hear them, listen to their you know call them up every once in a while, and and just sort of say off the clock. How you doing? You, you know, so there's lots of ways to add value, but you're right. I do think it is a choice. And and it's just how you execute that choice is I think that what we all do differently. And should. Yeah. Wow. You good, Craig? Yep. I, I, that was your question. Okay, cool. Dina, this has been 
Amazing. And I, we could keep going and I have so many ideas already for another topic for down the road, if you're willing to come back. I think you have such a unique perspective because it's not just law perspective. It happened, a lot of it happened to happen in the law, but a lot of it was not, had nothing to do with the law. So, so grateful you were here with us today. We always want to give our guests an opportunity to share some, anything going on for you that you want to highlight or promote in your life or your business. Uh, so uh, two things. Um, the uh, the first one is personal and one is professional. I'll do the uh, professional one to get that out of the way. Um, I am speaking at the uh, Raleigh Chamber on January 29th. I don't know if this will be out by that point, but if it is, yeah. um, January 29th, I will be on a panel uh, talking about women in leadership. Awesome. And sharing a little bit more uh, of my story. That's at 10 a.m. And I can't remember if there's a charge for that program. But it's pretty minimal if there is. And, and it's not just open to women, uh, women and men are, are, are equal, but it's, it's not just me, it's a panel of uh, really three just dynamo women. And I'm just, uh, I'm excited to be a part of it. So uh, 10 a.m. January 29th, you can go to the Raleigh Chamber of Commerce website and, um, and, and look that up. The other is just everybody fingers crossed. My daughter is a, uh, my 11 year old is a great indoor rock climber. And she is has virtually competed. Uh, com, uh, I think that's the right word. Yeah. Uh, I did a virtual competition. Competed. Remotely competed. Yeah. yeah. She virtually um, competed. She uh, didn't really compete. It was a game. It was an avatar. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Yes, that would be bizarre. Although I'd like to see that. Um, she has remotely com- uh, did a competition. Uh, completed a competition. Uh, that will get her to the next level in re- which is regionals and then um, divisionals and then maybe nationals and we'll see if that's in her in the cards. But um, fingers crossed, we should get uh, results in the next couple of days. Awesome, that's amazing. It's so I fun to watch our and, children grow. Yeah, I I love watching her and following the story on social media. So, how do people get in touch with you or connect with you if they want to do that? So uh, Dina Labriola, you can find me um, at, on my website at, and I'm with Fox Rothschild and that's Fox like, a, you know, crazy like a fox and Rothschild, R-O-T-H-S and then child. Um, and you can look me up there. Uh, you can find all the professional bio that you want. And that also has um, email and uh, my, my direct dial. And then I believe it also has my cell phone too. And so, um, as, so long as you promise to be respectful when you use it, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to uh, answer there and I'm always available there. So you'll want to check the show notes for the links there because Dina spells her name a little bit differently than it sounds. So. Yeah. Dean with sure. an A I'm named after my dad. Yeah. We'll make sure all of them are there. So I, we wrap, always wrap up with a question or two for our guest, Dana. And the question I would like to hear from you on is, gosh, you've shared so much, but I'm going to go for wisdom. What's that one piece of wisdom you want to share with our listeners? Gosh, this was like, this was so open-ended and I, and I really, <laughs> I really did thought uh, think about it. Um, so I got to just give you a little bit of a background. Um, One thing that I hear constantly with respect to women's leadership is how women need to be more like men Mm. in order to get ahead. And I, I I think early on in my journey of thinking about women's leadership, I bought into that. 
and particularly because it tended to speak to me as a person who I think, quote unquote, had some traditional male qualities, um, uh, maybe traditional is not the right word, but just what would be at least linked to male qualities. Um, I, I, I have thrown that out the window. And I think you cannot lead unless you lead authentically. Yes. And that looks differently uh, for everybody. And so if you are gregarious, or funny or serious, you, you can't reinvent yourself to not be those things. And so I don't know if this is wisdom, but this is just experience. And as a person who has at times in her life tried to not be herself, it just doesn't work. Mm. And so the times when I'm strongest and that times that I have the most courage is when I'm really, really being made. The other piece of that, that's sort of a corollary is sometimes um, you are in places that fit seasons of your life or periods in your career that fit seasons of your life until they don't. Mm -hmm. Be courageous enough to recognize that because I do think we as people get, um, uh, we can get locked into um, places that we should be instead of looking where we are. So I'll, I'll leave it there. Wow. Such good wisdom. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And, you know, just one other follow on thought. So often I've run into in the last couple of years, people who want to use that as an excuse to be frankly horrid mm -hmm. in yeah. their leadership. They say, that's <laughs> just how I am. And I know that's not what you're talking yeah. about. And so I really hope people hear that because I, I know Craig and I both fully agree with that, that that, and I love what you said, you're more courageous when you're authentic, right? which is not something I hear a lot. And I think part of it is figuring, being clear in who you are mm -hmm. and what you stand for so that you can go to that without having to search for it. And then you, and I do seek this, I think we can tweak it, but still say authentic because when you said the word serious, I've realized that. I'm often described as either serious or intense. And I didn't like that. And then people say, well, I just want you to get to know you in a few moments. They realize a different person. So I said, well, you know, there is an intensity to me. That is who I am. And I'm very thoughtful. I'm always thinking. And I said, but you know what? What would be what I could do is I could smile a little more often. Because that makes me more approachable is all. It didn't change who I was. It wasn't a fake. It was just saying, okay, this is most authentic me. I'm not going to try and stop being intense. Everybody's, I mean, once I heard it a hundred times, I went, oh, I guess it's probably true. <laughs> so I love that. And, and, and thank you for addressing that topic because I agree. I think there's been so much pressure, intentional and unintentional, for women to lead like men. And I feel like we as a culture and a world have lost out when that happened. Totally. I think the, the female perspective and, you know, I'm, I'm going to generalize here, but that the nurturing aspect that we can bring into it rather than the harshness, I think is so welcome. And I'm not saying that that's just a, a feminine quality. It's something that we as men can bring in as well, but it is, it is something that is so needed in our environment. And yet so many people are afraid to, to show that side or to, to be that. 
Yeah. Well, that's, uh, and I, um, and that's why I love, um, I, I love Brene Brown for a lot of reasons, but, mm-hmm. but one of it is, is just being that vulnerable leader. Yeah. We just, that's, that's become a very big buzz, you know, buzzword as of late in the last, you know, several or a couple of years, but I, I, I just think it, it just speaks to me. We just need more of that. And I think we, uh, businesses will flourish as a result. Amen. And thank you. Thank you again, Dana. Thanks for being here. And and thanks for the passion and courage you have brought in your leadership. And I know it will continue. Yes. So good to see you again. Thank you both. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartevera Tribe. The Cartevera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartevera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.